Story Ten of Strictly Business More Stories of the Four Million by O. Henry. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Warren Cody, Gurney, Illinois. Story Ten The Unknown Quantity. The poet Longfellow, or was it Confucius, the inventor of wisdom, remarked, Life is real life is earnest and things are not what they seem as mathematics are or is thanks old subscriber the only just rule by which questions of life can be measured let us by all means adjust our theme to the straight edge and the balanced column of the great goddess two and two makes four figures unassailable sums in addition shall be set over against whatever opposing element there may be a mathematician after scanning the above two lines of poetry would say ahem young gentlemen if we assume that x plus that is that life is real then things all of which life includes are real anything that is real is what it seems then if we consider the proposition that things are not what they seem why but this is heresy and not poesy we woo the sweet nymph algebra we would conduct you into the presence of the elusive seductive pursued satisfying mysterious x not long before the beginning of this century septimus kinsolving an old new yorker invented an idea he originated the discovery that bread is made from flour and not from wheat futures perceiving that the flour crop was short and that the stock exchange was having no perceptible effect on the growing wheat mr kinsolving cornered the flour market the result was that when you or my landlady before the war she never had to turn her hand to anything southerners accommodated bought a five-cent loaf of bread you laid down an additional two cents which went to mr kinsolving as a testimonial to his perspicacity a second result was that mr kinsolving quit the game with two million dollars profit or rake-off mr kinsolving's son dan was at college when the mathematical experiment in breadstuffs was made dan came home during vacation and found the old gentleman in a red dressing-gown reading little dorrit on the porch of his estimable red-brick mansion in washington square he had retired from business with enough extra two-cent pieces from bread buyers to reach if laid side by side fifteen times around the earth and lap as far as the public debt of paraguay dan shook hands with his father and hurried over to greenwich village to see his old high school friend kenwitz dan had always admired kenwitz kenwitz was pale curly-haired intense serious mathematical studious altruistic socialistic and the natural foe of oligarchies 
kenwitz had foregone college and was learning watchmaking in his father's jewelry store dan was smiling jovial easy-tempered and tolerant alike of kings and rag-pickers the two foregathered joyously being opposites and then dan went back to college and kenwitz to his mainsprings and to his private library in the rear of the jewelry shop four years later dan came back to washington square with the accumulations of a bachelor's of arts and two years of europe thick upon him he took a filial look at septimus consolving's elaborate tombstone in greenwood and a tedious excursion through typewritten documents with the family lawyer and then feeling himself a lonely and hopeless millionaire hurried down to the old jewelry store across sixth avenue kenwitz unscrewed a magnifying glass from his eye routed out his parent from a dingy rear room and abandoned the interior of watches for outdoors he went with dan and they sat on a bench in washington square dan had not changed much he was stalwart and had a dignity that was inclined to relax into a grin kenwitz was more serious more intense more learned philosophical and socialistic i know about it now said dan finally i pumped it out of the eminent legal lights that turned over to me poor old dad's collections of bonds and boodle it amounts to two million dollars ken and i am told that he squeezed it out of the chaps that pay their pennies for loaves of bread at little bakeries around the corner you studied economics dan and you know all about monopolies and the masses and octopuses and the rights of laboring people i never thought about those things before football and trying to be white to my fellow man were about the extent of my college curriculum but since i came back and found out how dad made his money i've been thinking i'd like awfully well to pay back those chaps who had to give up too much money for bread i know it would buck the line of my income for a good many yards but i'd like to make it square with em is there any way it can be done old ways and means kenwitz's big black eyes glowed fierily his thin intellectual face took on almost a sardonic cast he caught dan's arm with the grip of a friend and a judge you can't do it he said emphatically one of the chief punishments of you men of ill-gotten wealth is that when you do repent you find that you've lost the power to make reparation or restitution i admire your good intentions dan but you can't do anything those people were robbed of their precious pennies it's too late to remedy the evil you can't pay them back of course said dan lighting his pipe we couldn't hunt up every one of the duffers and hand them back the right change there's an awful lot of em buying bread all the time funny tastes they have i never cared for bread especially except for a toasted cracker with a roquefort but we might find a few of em and chuck some of dad's cash back where it came from i'd feel better if i could it seems tough for people to be held up for a soggy thing like bread one wouldn't mind standing a rise in broiled lobsters or deviled crabs get to work and think ken 
I want to pay back all of that money that I can. There are plenty of charities, said Kenwitz mechanically. Easy enough, said Dan in a cloud of smoke. I suppose I could give the city a park or endow an asparagus bed in a hospital, but I don't want Paul to get away with the proceeds of the gold brick we sold Peter. It's the bread shorts I want to cover, Ken. The thin fingers of Kenwitz moved rapidly. Do you know how much money it would take to pay back the losses of consumers during that corner in flour? he asked. I do not, said Dan stoutly. My lawyer tells me that I have two millions. If you had a hundred millions, said Kenwitz vehemently, you couldn't repair a thousandth part of the damage that has been done. You cannot conceive of the accumulated evils produced by misapplied wealth. Each penny that was wrung from the lean purses of the poor reacted a thousandfold to their harm. You do not understand. You do not see how hopeless is your desire to make restitution. Not in a single instance can it be done. Back up, philosopher, said Dan. The penny has no sorrow that the dollar cannot heal. Not in one instance, repeated Kenwitz. I will give you one, and let us see. Thomas Boyne had a little bakery over there in Varick Street. He sold bread to the poorest people. When the price of flour went up, he had to raise the price of bread. His customers were too poor to pay it. Boyne's business failed, and he lost his $1,000 capital, all he had in the world. Dan Consolving struck the park bench, a mighty blow with his fist. I accept the instance, he cried. Take me to Boyne. I will repay his thousand dollars and buy him a new bakery. Write your check, said Kenwitz without moving, and then begin to write checks in payment of the train of consequences. Draw the next one for fifty thousand dollars. Boyne went insane after his failure and set fire to the building from which he was about to be evicted. The loss amounted to that much. Boyne died in an asylum. Stick to the instance, said Dan. I haven't noticed any insurance companies on my charity list. Draw your next check for $100,000, went on Kenwitz. Boyne's son fell into bad ways after the bakery closed and was accused of murder. He was acquitted last week after a three years legal battle, and the state draws upon taxpayers for that much expense. Back to the bakery, exclaimed Dan impatiently. The government doesn't need to stand in the bread line. The last item of this instance is come and I will show you, said Kenwitz, rising. The socialistic watchmaker was happy. He was a millionaire baiter by nature and a pessimist by trade. Kenwitz would assure you, in one breath, that money was but evil and corruption, and that your brand new watch needed cleaning and a new ratchet wheel. He conducted Kinsolving southward, out of the square, and into ragged, poverty-haunted Varick Street. Up the narrow stairway of a squalid brick tenement, he led the penitent offspring of the octopus. He knocked on a door, and a clear voice called to them to enter. In that almost bare room, 
a young woman sat sewing at a machine she nodded to kenwitz as to a familiar acquaintance one little stream of sunlight through the dingy window burnished her heavy hair to the color of an ancient tuscan shield she flashed a rippling smile at kenwitz and a look of somewhat flustered inquiry kinsolving stood regarding her clear and pathetic beauty in heart-throbbing silence thus they came into the presence of the last item of the instance how many this week miss mary asked the watchmaker a mountain of coarse gray shirts lay upon the floor nearly thirty dozen said the young woman cheerfully i've made almost four dollars i'm improving mr kenwitz i hardly know what to do with so much money her eyes turned brightly soft in the direction of dan a little pink spot came out on her round pale cheek kenwitz chuckled like a diabolic raven miss boyne he said let me present mr kinsolving the son of the man who put bread up five years ago he thinks he would like to do something to aid those who were inconvenienced by that act the smile left the young woman's face she rose and pointed her forefinger toward the door this time she looked kinsolving straight in the eye but it was not a look that gave delight the two men went down barrack street kenwitz letting all his pessimism and rancor and hatred of the octopus come to the surface jibed at the moneyed side of his friend in an acrid torrent of words dan appeared to be listening and then turned to kenwitz and shook hands with him warmly i'm obliged to you ken old man he said vaguely a thousand times obliged mein gott you are crazy cried the watchmaker dropping his spectacles for the first time in years two months afterward kenwitz went into a large bakery on lower broadway with a pair of gold-rimmed eyeglasses that he had mended for the proprietor a lady was giving an order to a clerk as kenwitz passed her these loaves are ten cents said the clerk i always get them at eight cents uptown said the lady you need not fill the order i will drive by there on my way home the voice was familiar the watchmaker paused mr kenwitz cried the lady heartily how do you do kenwitz was trying to train his socialistic and economic comprehension on her wonderful fur boa and the carriage waiting outside why miss boyne he began mrs kinsolving she corrected dan and i were married a month ago end of story ten the unknown quantity